I really believe that part of our anxieties that we experience, that nagging, churning feeling, that's your greatness saying, let me out. <laughs> I really believe that. And part of that, you know, if you're thinking like, well, how do I manifest that? How do I even figure that out? Start with engaging in what you do today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Undo Anxiety Podcast. I'm Dr. John Duffy. As always, I'm your host here. And um, yeah, you know what this is all about. Um, we all are suffering some degree of anxiety, depression, unrest. Uh, we all have that churning, gurgling stomach every once in a while, or frequently, that is in all likelihood due to some way that we're thinking that is maladaptive for us. And our goal here is to talk about that, bring it to the light of day, get our listeners to nod along like, oh yeah, I get that, that's me, and kind of undo the undue anxiety through eliminating the taboos around it. And, um, and that's what we're up to today, just like any other day. And as, as always, I, I sincerely protect uh, appreciate you protecting a little time um, for us, even if we are not perfectly articulate <laughs> um, here. So today, um, I specifically want to talk about greatness. Um, th this is a topic I think of um, a lot, and I have in my life since I was a kid. Um, uh, I, I grew up a, a very Catholic guy, and um, when I was 15 or 16 years old. I think I was a junior in high school at the time. Uh, my friend Mike, Michael Haney, uh, and I, um, shout out to Mike, were at Mass, and uh, Father John Cusick, um, the finest of the Catholic priests out there and um, the most inspiring orator I have ever known, and, and a guy who has really inspired me my entire life, was giving one of his um, patented, perfect, never scripted, off-the-cuff homilies, um, which is, uh, for those of you who are not Catholic, it's kind of the, the um, inspired, God-inspired speech that, that a priest gives um, after he um, does uh, a reading, okay, from the gospel. And, um, and Father Cusick does it differently because you get a lot of guys who kind of stand up at the pulpit and they drone on and they talk about how we need to act as if Jesus acted centuries ago. And your goal is to stay awake and, um, and make it through that and get to communion and you kind of pace it. For those of you who grew up Catholic, you pace the thing, right? So you know when you're going to get out. Um, but with Cusick, the goal was not to get out. You always wanted to hear what this guy had to say. And he would walk up the middle aisle of the whole church. And it could be a massive church, a smaller church. But and I remember one time my dad, who was not always perfectly attentive, would be reading like the hymnal, just kind of flipping through something. And, um, and Cusick just walks down the aisle. And the beginning of his homily, the beginning of his talk was, Walt Duffy's here. And suddenly, like, my dad was on high alert, like, good God, man, this guy's calling me out. <laughs> and this is the kind of thing Cusick would do 
all the time. And and he so he engaged his congregation in a way that, you know, um, I'm always kind of looking at public speakers to see if they have Cusick in them, you know, because he's the guy. He was great, and he still is a great man. So hats off to you, Father Cusick. I hope you're listening. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you listen to this one. Um, in any event, one day when we are uh, about to become juniors in high school, Cusick walks up the middle aisle. And Mike and I are about halfway down. We're both, we're, we are on the aisle. And he's talking about greatness. And he's effectively saying, y'all got gifts. Every single one of us has gifts that we need to be using. So because you are allowed on the earth, because there's a heart beating in your chest and air passing through your lungs, because you get to be part of the miracle of life on this planet, you don't have the option of holding your greatness in. And I remember like literally walking out of the church. First of all, Mike and I were like like electrified, like, you know, we'd been at a rock concert. Honest to God, that's the, that's the vibe that this man was able to create. And we walk out and we were like, good God, that was amazing. And we were like fully present and aware of every second of it. And we felt, we both felt like, um, and we said it separately, like, hey, Cusick's talking to me. And, you know, I said it and Mike's like, Cusick's talking to me, man. And we were like, oh my God, we have to do something great now. You know, like an hour ago, we were just regular kids. Now we got to do something great with our lives. He set us up, you know, now, now, now we have a mandate. That sucks. But it doesn't suck, and that's that's my point here. Um, so, briefly, as, as um, a lot of you who listen to um, my podcast regularly are aware, uh, I went on. We both went on to go to college at a place that um, probably neither of us had any right to go to or get into, but we fought our way and scrapped our way into Notre Dame, and um, we were both very proud of that, Mike and I. And um, and, and Mike majored in, in English and got a job um, editing magazines. He started in Chicago and is now in New York and is the executive editor of Esquire magazine in, in New York. And I'm super proud of him because uh, – and he's written a, a best-selling memoir um, called After Visiting Friends. Ding! There's a little plug for your book, Mike. And, and if you haven't read After Visiting Friends – it is a beautiful piece of work about Mike's life and about presence and availability and the surprises you get. Mike lost his dad in an early age, and he thought he was writing about that. And it turned out by the end of the book, you realize mm, he's writing about that, but so much more. And it is, a, it is quite a ride. Came out a couple of years ago, New York Times bestseller, Pick Up After Visiting Friends. So Mike did that. And, um, and is still looking for his greatness. Um, I um, got a job in an accounting firm, uh, a good one, uh, a firm with a really, really great reputation. And, um, oh, everybody was psyched, so happy, so proud. Oh, what a, you know, I, I've got Notre Dame on my resume. Now I have this um, firm. I'm reluctant to say the name of the firm, if I'm being honest with you, because um, it was... It was the Enron firm, and so it doesn't really exist anymore. So it was Arthur Anderson, for anybody who's listening, but just between us. And um, at the time, this place was the gold standard in accounting. 
Um, it really, honestly, was. I was I was um, proud to get the job. I wasn't sure how I did because I wasn't a very good accountant, but I was a, a decent interview, I think. Um, and from about day, mm, no, let's say hour three, I realized, oh my God, this is what adults do? This is what life is going to be like now? This is wretched. And six years later, I'm still there um, and doing work that I'm doing fine work and I'm getting promoted and I'm making more money and I, you know, I'm about to be promoted to manager and um, I'm having panic attacks every single day. Um, I would excuse myself from a meeting and I would step into the men's room and I would put my hands on either wall of the stall and try to find my breath before I went back in the meeting. And this would be a several times a day occurrence where I was just trying to breathe and make it through. And for those of you who have worked in big uh, eight, six, or four accounting, depending on your era, um, those days are not short. Those are long days. And I spent a lot of long days just trying to keep anxiety at bay. Um, and as I look back on that time, so I, I quit that job, um, and my wife Julie was an enormous help in getting me past um, the fear of quitting that job. Uh, and there was a lot of fears affiliated with like, what am I going to do? You know, um, and uh, and and it makes me think about the gift that anxiety is, because that was, in retrospect, that was my body telling my mind every day, hey, this isn't working. We can't do this anymore. I can't make it through this any longer. Um, and um, so toward the tail end of that career, I was looking for, you know, I, I knew, if I'm being honest with you, from the time I was in school, what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. I um, called my parents the night before we had to pick majors, and I said, I'm going to major in psychology and be a psychologist. And my mom um, nicely said, no. Um, why don't you major in accounting, get yourself a job, and then maybe sometime in the very, very distant future, you can consider whether you want to be a psychologist or not, because we really didn't have the money for this, and, you know, and, and they wanted the sure thing, and the sure thing was absolutely accounting, and the unsure thing, but the greatness for me lied in psychology. For you, it might be the absolute inverse, but for me, that's where it lied. I'll tell a quick side story here. So um, I took my friend, Father Cusick, out to lunch um, to work through this dilemma. And I said to him, geez, Father, you know, I, I'm, at, I'm sitting there in my suit and tie because I'm still at Arthur Anderson. And I said, geez, Father, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I, this job just isn't working for me. And I, and I get anxious every day. I have these panic attacks and I don't like it very much. Um, I'm making good money, um, but I know I want to help people and make an impact on people's lives. I know I want to be a psychologist and a therapist. Uh, what do you what do you think? And I asked it very much like that. And he looked at me, uh, took an appropriate pause. Um, I'm going to skip an inappropriate word he used just to protect the innocent. But he said, "John, you got to be kidding me." And he got up. He put his napkin down. He said, "Lunch is on you." And he bolted from the room. <laughs> And this was, this was one, of, uh, one of the most important moments of my life because I realized how stupid, obvious the answer was and how 
easy it would be for me to just make the move. It was organic, and it was. It was simple. And Julie and I, we figured it out in hours, you know, how we were going to make this work, and we did. And we got pregnant while I was in grad school, and we still made it work. The point is the anxiety was a gift because it told me, hey, not only are we not doing what we're supposed to do, there's no greatness in this for you. You know, so that nagging in the back of your mind that says, you should be doing something. You should be doing something great. I wasn't fulfilling that at all. I was just moving through the day and frankly, looking forward to the end of the day so that I could get up tomorrow and do it again and then get up the next day and do it again. And then maybe Sunday, I'd have a few hours. Maybe I could watch a Bears game or something and then get up the next day and do it again and do it again and do it again. If you don't live your life this way, I know that you know people who do. And this is where we give up, where we're just sad and depressed and we've got nothing, you know, and we get heavy and we get complacent and then we get upset and angry and bitter about our lives because we we have this dissonance and it fades over decades, right? So when you're young, you've got the juice, you got the energy, you want to fulfill that mandate. And this isn't about fame or money. It's about doing what you are on this earth to do. And I believe we're all on this earth to do something, to do something important. And for somebody out there, and this is how I learned this wasn't the job for me, by the way, this accounting job, I was sitting across from a guy who was psyched because we were going to go and change the inventory system in a warehouse in Waterloo, Iowa, from LIFO to FIFO. And he was jazzed about this. This guy was a newlywed to a beautiful girl. And I realized, oh, yeah, I'm the problem. (laughs) This place isn't the problem. Everybody's not miserable here. This is the right thing for Steve. This is the wrong thing for me. Get out. Simple. Go do your thing. Figure it out. And that's my message to you guys is I really believe that part of our anxieties that we experience, that nagging, churning feeling, that's your greatness saying, let me out. (laughs) I really believe that. And part of that, you know, if you're thinking like, well, how do I manifest that? How do I even figure that out? Start with engaging in what you do today. So I work with a lot of kids, as you know, and they don't care about school. They're not going to try or they're on the track team and they're not going to run real hard. And my point is always like, if it's something you're signed up for, then you need to engage in that because this is part, this plays into how you feel about yourself. This plays into who you are and how you approach the things that you do. And there's no room for half-assing. There's no time for half-assing. Life is short, man. I am 53 years old, and I barely remember the 40s, you know? Time moves fast. Um, I, am, I am reminded um, as, as kind of, and, and this is true not just of me, but of my clients. It's probably true of you. So I encourage you to think about where your greatness lies, because if you want a quick fix to anxiety and depression and, you know, hopelessness and some of the things that you suffer, figure out what you're about. Think about where your greatness lies. Think about where your skill set is or where your passion is. And I know there's a lot of 
pushback about that. Hey, looking for your passion. What a bunch of snowflakes. But if you do what you're intended to do and you do it well, screw that. You know, this is, this is the most important thing, you know, because to lead a fulfilling life and a legacy that matters, I don't care if anybody calls me a snowflake. You know what I mean? Because, because that means everything to me. Everything. It's more important than anything else, and it alleviates all the symptoms that we're all talking about in these therapist's offices across the country, right? Um, so um, as kind of a final note, I, when I put this uh, thought together, I was reminded of one of my favorite little books, and it's called The Four Agreements. It's by a guy named Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, and there are four things that this guy suggests we do in order to lead a full and fulfilling life. And I'm going to tell you what they are. So you, you can buy the book if you like. It's a great little book. It's a, it's a half-hour little read. Um, but the first thing he says is be impeccable with your word. Tell the truth. Live with integrity. Be honest, right? Otherwise, you want to experience some undue anxiety, start weaving that tangled web of lies, you know? And I know many people who make that choice, and it's always, always the wrong choice. Be impeccable with your word. Impeccable. Second, don't take anything personally. Oh, that's a tough one, right? But um, I remember Dr. Wayne Dyer saying to a group of us one time, what other people think of you is none of your business. And that is the truth, as odd as it sounds. It's their business, and live your life, live it with integrity, and as anxiety-free as you can, and you're, you're doing it right. Third, don't make assumptions. We make all these errant assumptions all the time, and it drives our anxiety. It makes us upset, because normally the assumptions we make are not upbeat, happy, positive ones. They're negative ones, Right? And fourth, and this is the one I want to focus on right here, always do your best. Always do your best. Greatness, man. That's just doing your best, leaving it all on the field, whatever it is. And think about what your best looks like. Mine, as it turns out, I led the first 27 years of my life um, kind of just setting the stage. And then I had to shift gears in order to do my best. But it's never too late, never ever too late to consider what's my best, right? What's my mandate here? What, wherein lies my greatness? So it's just something to consider. Just wanted to lay that out for you guys because it's been nagging at my mind and it's been kind of on my mind all week. So um, uh, shout outs once again to Michael Haney, Esquire, and Father John Cusick for inspiring me on this journey. And um, think about your greatness. Always do your best, man, and pick up the four agreements if you're inclined. I am Dr. John Duffy. This is the Undo Anxiety Podcast, and I appreciate you spending some time with me today. If um, you have any thoughts about what I ought to do with this podcast, uh, who I ought to have on as a guest, whether you want to be a guest, give me a quick email. Write me at johngduffy at drjohnduffy.com. Um, you can find the Undo Anxiety Podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, 
and WGN Plus. So check us out in all those different spots. And as always, I will talk to you next time. Have a most excellent day.